Welcome to Blunt History, a podcast dealing with the history of the war on drugs, told, well, bluntly. We think it'll have you saying, what the F? We're your hosts, Natalie Brennan and Stina Perkins. Today's a biggie. I said to a friend yesterday, oh yeah, I'm doing some research for our next episode on Nixon and Reagan's impact on the war on crime of drugs. And they were like, one episode? Shouldn't your whole podcast be on the impact of Reagan and Nixon on the war on crime and drugs in modern America? And I was like, hmm, great question. <laughs> right, it could be like an entire, entire dissertation. Series, yeah. um, you know, smaller details than that have been made into dissertations. Right. But anyway, there are a million different books and articles and podcasts that focus exclusively on this era of the war on drugs and crime. So our goal was actually to zoom out a little and show that the history is much longer and continuous than this one period. Yeah, and that's what I ultimately said. We're not a restaurant out here. No full meals, just a taste. So how about we end this episode with some of the sources that listeners can look into if they want to learn more about the Nixon-Reagan era, since these names get so much attention within the field. Done. Fine. For now, just the appetizer. So with being careful not to say that the war on drugs really heats up during the 1970s, well, the war on drugs really heats (laughs) up during the 1970s. Nixon comes into office in 1969. That year, during his remarks at the opening session of the government's conference at the Department of State, he begins by giving the statistics of how many people in America are addicted to marijuana, to heroin. The narrative at this point is really centered on both. The difference between these two is sometimes blurred. He claims that, quote, there is not any question but that when drug addiction becomes a national malady affecting all segments of the population, that there is a danger that the spirit of a nation may certainly be impaired, end quote. America is infected. References to malady, nothing new. He tells the story of a 19-year-old girl addicted to heroin. Again, same narratives we've heard before. 19-year-old girls who used to go to church are easy to sympathize with, I guess. Yeah, and then he brings this claim from the individual to the political, saying, quote, I'm going to keep my promise to that young girl, and I want all of you to help me keep that promise, because we have a national responsibility, a national responsibility to all the young people of this nation to see to it that they have a chance to grow up, to grow up without having their spirit destroyed and their health destroyed by turning to drugs, end quote. Okay, and then this speech takes a turn. He says, quote, I must say that when they first started, I thought that the answer was more penalties. I thought that the answer was simply enforce the law, and that will stop people from the use of drugs. But it is not that. When you are talking about 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds, the answer is not more penalties. The answer is information. The answer is understanding. End quote. And is this what occurs? Okay, so that was 1969. Nixon is claiming that the answer is not more penalties, but understanding and information. And part of this may be because at this point, the crisis was focused on white middle class users, correct? Yes. Much of this speech is about the fact that drug users used to be thought of as one part of the population, but the issue can affect everyone. So yes, this understanding is partially due to the fact that the country can't ignore that drugs aren't only an urban crisis. 
white people were asking for the government to help end mass addiction. And black people were too. Now this narrative has been overdrawn. Black people did ask the government to help get drugs and addiction out of their community. There's an article from 1970 literally called, quote, Blacks declare war on dope, end quote. This wasn't a trope. Black women did a lot of organizing and calling attention to the ways in which heroin was affecting their children. There's this great quote from the article in which one of these organizers is yelling into the crowd, quote, You know the best way to deal with the dope problem? Get as many white kids on it as possible. The best news I've heard in a long time is that more white kids are getting hooked on heroin, end quote. And you know what? She was right. Look at that Nixon address we just analyzed. The type of understanding was directly addressing this fact. Absolutely. During this time, an organization called Mothers Against Drugs, or MAD, was created, and they urged their communities to hand over information to them about traffickers, pushers, and suppliers, and they would give over this information to district attorneys. They also directly state that they skip over the step of the police because they don't believe that police care about drugs in black communities. Some mothers even blamed police for being involved in the drug trafficking. This wasn't a conspiracy theory either. There were a lot of known cases at this time where New York police officers were being paid off to allow drug trafficking, but that's a different episode. Stokely Carmichael echoed a lot of these concerns, stating that, quote, the flood of black communities with drugs, especially heroin, is nothing less than a program of genocide against black people, end quote. He called it a weapon used by oppressors. And we heard these sentiments once used by American politicians when they believed that communist China was purposely drugging Americans. So what we're getting at here is that Americans, a wide array of Americans, were worried about the drug crisis. It wasn't something being sensationalized by the media in order to back politicians' motives. Americans wanted drugs out of their communities. Fully. But did things go down the path that Nixon led us to believe they would in 1969 with understanding rather than punishment? Mm. <laughs> we get a different speech in 1971. This is where the war on drugs is formally and most officially declared, put into language. In Nixon's special message to the Congress on Drug Abuse Prevention and Control, he states, quote, we must now candidly recognize that the deliberate procedures embodied in these present efforts to control drug abuse are not sufficient in themselves. The problem has assumed the dimensions of a national emergency, end quote. And then he increases the budget to deal with this national emergency to provide an additional $155 million to carry out these steps. This would provide a total of $371 million for programs to control drug abuse in America. A year earlier, the administration passed the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act. Now, Nixon is saying that these provisions are not effective enough on their own. Quote, enforcement must be coupled with a rational approach to the reclamation of the drug user himself, end quote. Quote, the magnitude and the severity of the present threat will no longer permit this piecemeal and bureaucratically dispersed effort at drug control. If we cannot destroy the drug menace in America, then it will surely in time destroy us. I am not prepared to accept this alternative. 
Therefore, I am transmitting legislation to the Congress to consolidate at the highest level a full-scale attack on the problem of drug abuse in America, end quote. And this is why people say that this is where the war on drugs heats up under Nixon's administration. Yes, gone is a lot of the understanding and rehabilitation and narratives that we have heard trying to break through in the 1950s and 60s. Nixon literally says that he is asking to, quote, increase our enforcement efforts to further tighten the noose around the necks of drug peddlers and thereby loosen the noose around the necks of drug users, end quote. And as we talked with Matt Lasseter, this was also a problem with liberal administrations. LBJ did a lot to pave this foundation, but Nixon really drives this forward. Right. Nixon literally says that he is asking to, quote, increase our enforcement efforts to further tighten the noose around the necks of drug peddlers and thereby loosen the noose around the necks of drug users end quote talk about really traumatic imagery yeah that is like i don't even have anything to comment on after that it's really fucked up language and can i say fucked up you think in that yeah say fucked up it's fucked up yeah it's fucked up okay well yes so this is happening federally but this also happens at the state level The laws passed by New York's governor, Nelson Rockefeller, were some of the strictest the country has ever seen. Rising on this anxiety that the administration needs to be tough on crime and possibly cites on the presidency, Rockefeller condemns the rehabilitation programs in place. He says treatment programs were a complete failure. And instead, well, he calls for a stern policy of deterrence. Quote, I therefore will ask for legislation making the penalty of all illegal trafficking in hard drugs a life sentence in prison, to close all avenues for escaping the full force of this sentence. The law would forbid acceptance of a plea to a lesser charge, forbid probation, forbid parole, and forbid suspensions of sentences, end quote. This is another moment where we see suspension of civil liberties being justified in an effort for crime and law and order. To me, that totally seems like a clear example of the breaking of the three branches. Right. And well, New York answered these calls. They were diluted a bit, but they were the harshest drug laws the country has ever seen. Scholar Julie Kohler Hassman in her article, The Attila the Hun Law, New York's Rockefeller Drug Laws and the Making of a Punitive State, argues that these very laws are critical to study because they served as inspiration for the war on drugs policies enacted nationwide. She says these laws are a case study on the get tough on crime attitude that escalates in the 1970s. It's unclear who got tough on crime first, federal or state government. The Rockefeller laws were signed in 1973. In 1971, Nixon says, quote, America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive, end quote. This is really harsh language. Yeah, and it's not just all talk either. In 1972, Congress unanimously passes the Drug Abuse Office and Treatment Act, which created new resources at the federal level to deal with these issues. As both the feds and the states get tougher on crimes, arrests escalate in the 1970s, especially among black males in urban centers through targeted policing. In 1972, 292,000 Americans were arrested for marijuana. By 1974, that number goes up to 445,000. And in March of 1972, Nixon claims, quote, 
There isn't a penalty that is too great for drug traffickers who prey upon youths. He also claims that there should be, quote, no sympathy whatsoever and no limit insofar as the criminal penalties are concerned, end quote. Was this what Americans were calling for? This is not what the Mothers Against Drugs were calling for. Hard policing, targeting black youth, life mandatory minimum sentences. But as Professor Laster talks about in his class, this is what the Zero Tolerance Parents Movement, a nonpartisan network of white groups from affluent inner ring suburbs were calling for. This is where we see a carceral state arise, over-policing in certain areas. The door is open. The door is open and the war on drugs keeps rolling. I'm skipping over the Ford administration, I'll admit it. The Carter administration comes into office in 1977, and he actually calls for the decriminalization of marijuana in his 76 campaigns, but then parents really start a national campaign against marijuana use, and Carter reverses his support for decriminalization. Right, because tough on crimes wins elections. Yes, tough on crimes wins elections. And then he himself launches anti-marijuana initiatives in 1979, which is confusing. I mean, a, an entire 180 there. But again, tough on crimes wins, wins elections. elections. And then Reagan really runs with the war on marijuana. So Reagan comes into office in 1981. 1981, and Reagan too knows that tough on, on crime wins, wins elections. elections. So right off the bat, Ra the Reagans are concerned with drug control. Let's listen to Ronald and Nancy Reagan, radio address to the nation on federal drug policy. The mood toward drugs is changing in this country, and the momentum is with us. We're making no excuses for drugs, hard, soft, or otherwise. In the last few days, I've had two reports on drugs in America. First, Nancy returned from a trip to Alabama, Mississippi, and Arkansas, one of the many trips she's made talking to young people and their parents about the drug epidemic. Well, I thought it might be fitting if she told you herself of what she's learned about the drug problem. So, Nancy? Thank you. I wish I could tell you all the accounts I've heard. I've heard time and again of children with excellent grades, athletic promise, outgoing personalities, but who, because of drugs, became shells of their former selves. I won't burden you with all the terrifying statistics, but there's one that's especially troubling. While the health of most Americans has been improving, young people between 15 and 24 have a higher death rate than 20 years ago, and alcohol and drugs are one reason for this. But there are also some very positive signs on the prevention and treatment fronts, especially with the parents' movement. People finally are facing up to drug abuse. They're banding together and they're making real progress. And I just want to say a heartfelt thank you to all those people out there who are working so hard to get drug abuse under control. Thank you, Nancy. Now, regarding the other report I mentioned, in the next few days, we'll announce the administration's new strategy for the prevention of drug abuse and drug trafficking. This is a bold, confident plan, and I'm elated. Previous administrations had drug strategies, but they didn't have the structure to carry them out. The mood toward drugs is changing in this country, and the momentum is with us. We're making no excuses for drugs, hard, soft, or otherwise. Drugs are bad, and we're going after them. As I've said before, We've taken down the surrender flag and run up the battle flag, and we're going to win the war on drugs. Till next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you. Again, explicit reference to the war on drugs here.
Reagan literally says that marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug in the world during this time period. Which even at that time was proven to be false, and he must know this is false. Of course he knows this is false. There were literally zero deaths from marijuana in the 1980s. The National Institute on Drug Abuse publishes these statistics, but this is how you gain support for tough national legislation. And win elections. <laughs> and win elections. Reagan, too, was focused on drug pushers who prey on the innocent. This is what Matt Lasseter refers to as selective criminalization of marijuana. But this isn't where the Reagan administration puts its focus. Quickly, all attention turns to the crack crisis. Next episode? Next episode. But first, some sources were promised. If you want to hear more about this era, some really great sources are Lassiter's own article, Impossible Criminals, The Suburban Imperatives of America's War on Drugs, the Attila the Hunla, the article we referenced in this podcast earlier, Eric Schneider's Smack, Heroin in the American City, and even though we focus today on the Nixon era, if you want to learn more about how liberals were active and complicit in the creation of the carceral state, we suggest taking a look at Elizabeth Hinton's From the War on Poverty to the War on Crime. If you want to see any of the documents we referenced in this episode, our sources can all be found on What the F's website in the Podcasts tab. Like What the F on Facebook to get notified when we release new episodes. I'm Natalie. And I'm Stina. And this was Blunt History.